With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi and welcome to the Nina Kaza Show. Um, thank you so much for joining us once again. Um, I know it's been a while, but I wanted to save something special. I have a very important guest. Now, you guys that listen to the Nina Kaza Show, you like to take the piss at me. You kind of laugh at me rather than with me. But today, I've upped the ante and I have a genuine comedian on the show. So And, and a scouser as well. My God, I've, I've been busy in this transfer window getting the guests. Um, it's an honour to introduce Adam Rowe to the show. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Nina. No, it's, it's going great. Um, thank you for coming on. But before we start, Adam, um, the listeners are going to be expecting you to take the absolute royal piss out of me. And I'm really fragile. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I'll try and I'll try and retain myself. Yeah, there's gonna be plenty of they're, they're doing it via Twitter and stuff. People feel a lot more comfortable taking the piss when it's on text for some reason. if you're actually talking to someone you can hear the voice, it's a lot more hurtful, so I'll try and I'll try and be as nice as I can. Ah, see, he's already a winner. But you know what, to be fair, our listeners are like super loyal and it's kind of fun. It's kind of it's harmless, but like they, they'll always look for me to like mispronounce something or mess up someone's surname when we have a caller in. So they're ready for it and they're probably wanting you to step in and actually literally rip the piss out of me on a podcast. And you know what? I'm open to it. Whatever will be, will be. But Adam, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're super busy and you've got a talk coming up as well, which we will discuss. But first things first. I mean, it goes without saying you're a scouser. You have your head screwed on. You're a Liverpool supporter. What an amazing time to be a Liverpool fan. So I want to ask you, you know, a fair few questions. How has it been overall um, being local and supporting the Reds this season? Because I just feel like we have this massive glow up under Jurgen Klopp. I think it's been a, it's been an interesting year because obviously with the disappointments of not winning the final last year, to see like the whole city hang red flags out the windows again this year. I'm also wondering where all the Everton fans live, because I haven't seen many houses that haven't got a Liverpool flag, like, hanging out their house in the build-up to that Champions League final. I think, like, I'm 27 years of age, so I was just old enough to understand the importance of Istanbul and, like, the, the team that we had back then and how good it was. But I don't think there's ever been a Liverpool team with this much promise and stability as well. For my entire lifespan as a Liverpool fan, whenever we've had a strong team, it's always felt like if Barcelona or Chelsea or Real Madrid fancied coming in and taking one or two of our players, then it was just going to happen. 
Um, and with this team, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like we're, we're in a position where players will tell those clubs, no, I'm staying where, I'm, where I am. No, um, I, I completely agree with you on that in that sense. Another thing as well, which I am, um, I'm as I put it out there, some stats, I'm a little older than you. And um, literally this, um, for me, the most um, sort of complete sides, if, if I can call them complete sides, where I've actually looked through the years and thought, ooh, that is a really, really strong team. I mean, I've been a Liverpool supporter since 96. So, you know, I've I've seen some good and I've seen some mediocre and some pretty bad you know let's let's yeah. be honest and I think for me one of the biggest like and, and I said this on my previous show actually one of the saddest things that I remember was Rafa Benitez's 08 or 09 uh, team not winning the league because I thought yeah. again they were such a great side and if this Jurgen Klopp side doesn't win something as a collective because they're so brilliant as a, as a whole but even individually you've got world-class talent throughout the pitch and if they don't, if they didn't win it this year with the disappointment of the league, like just missing out. And I just call it a disappointment because my God, we pushed until the end. And had they not won it, it would have been awful. But you know, you were speaking about Everton there and you know, you got a scouse from, so you got to ask them this question. Now, the rivalry, just talk to me. I mean, I know it's a local rivalry and it, of course, it's it's huge. It divides the city, but at the same time you have family members who are Liverpool supporters and Everton supporters and obviously Anfield Index as a whole sort of caters and a lot of our contributors are from all around the globe and they only see Everton as a city rival rather than on par with, say, quality or talent. Like, I'll be honest with you, I've probably met, like, in my life, maybe about nine Everton fans. Yeah. You know, like, to me, they're, they're an afterthought because I don't deal with them on an every single day basis. Talk to me yeah. about that. Well, <laughs> well, well, I do. Yeah, <laughs> so, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, like, the, the thing with Everton is, like, because they're such a good club, and they are a good club, like, with a good heart, the people who run it are... Like, there's a reason it's quite a friendly rivalry at times. And obviously, they've done a lot of work with, like, the Hillsborough campaigns. Course, and yes. So, like, which unites the whole city. Um, but they absolutely adore us losing because at the minute, and obviously, it hasn't always been this way. And we're a massive club at, at one point um, for. For a few weeks, I, I think. bet you don't remember yeah. their last trophy, though. You were far too. I mean, you oh, were far three. too young. Yeah. I was three when they last won a trophy, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, I had no concept of it then. But like, that th- their victories now come from us failing, and I think that was a massive, a massive part of how big that Champions League win this year was. Is it's not just that oh we've ended our trophy run and we've. Uh, 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 our Baron Trophy run, I should say, and that we've finally put silverware on the egg. A big thing for me was if this Liverpool team had got 97 points and got to their second Champions League final in as many years and still won nothing, that would have been something that Everton fans and I, I, I work all over the country like gigging, so I, I work with a lot of United fans and Chelsea fans and yeah. City fans as well. That that's something to beat Liverpool fans around the head with. Oh, you can say you've got this great team, but you haven't won anything. And no one can say it anymore because we've won the biggest prize in world football. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans, me included, if they could have chose 
either the Champions League or the league, they'd have actually picked the league. I would have picked the Premier League because I've never seen us win it. Mm. But despite saying that, the Champions League is still a bigger trophy. It, the only reason I would have preferred the league is because I haven't seen us win it. Yeah. But if you've won both of them recently, the one you want again is the Champions League. So it's it's a it's a great time to be a Liverpool fan and the the lack of uh, banter coming through to my WhatsApp groups from rival fans is quite staggering because n- normally they're quite loud at this point in the season and they just can't be at the minute. It's it's really true. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of family members who support Manchester United and I remember um, I was actually going to do the post-match show and I had to watch the Liverpool versus Newcastle game and... Um, you know, we all got an uncle knobhead and, you know, this particular uncle knobhead, not related, by the way, people, before you think she called her actual uncle a knobhead, um, was like, oh, um, uh, who, 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 who are Liverpool playing? And I was like, oh, they're playing Everton. And he went, ha, I, I, I laughed when he lost 3-0 to Barca because obviously that was the, the, the fixture straight after we lost 3-0 to Barcelona at the Camp Nou. And, and, you know, he laughed and I just thought, your team, provides me with laughs every single week <laughs> yeah y- you know I'm, I'm not saying it I just smiled at him and I just thought oh, okay and uh, you know I, and again karma does come and bite you on the ass I'm with you in terms of the league as well because again I was far too young to remember um Liverpool winning the league and I read and again I think what the league kind of demonstrates is um you know a kind of um consistency throughout you know I think with cup competitions you know there is an element of look who do you get in the groups things like that those things come into play but I thought you know even as a whole I mean pushing Manchester City right till the very end I mean it just goes to show that this Liverpool side and under Jurgen Klopp you know we are truly a force in both regards and I think we demonstrated it I mean we were in it till the last game of the season I've never had that feeling, you know, I was in Anfield. And you know what? I, I'm not going to lie, Brighton made me the happiest for like 60 seconds. Oh, mate, I'll tell you what, like, I genuinely, and <laughs> it's hard to admit this, but for for that minute that they were in front, I genuinely believed we were going to do it. Yeah. So it just felt like, because we, I think, <laughs> I, I think we'd just gone 1-0 up, had we? Had we sco- did we score before Brighton? I think we did. I think we were one nil up, yes. Yeah. So at that point, it was like we we're gonna do this. We're absolutely gonna do this. And yeah, but as soon as City equalised, I was like, yeah, that's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't last long at all, but yeah, I, I it's gonna be a very interesting season. What's quite like I'm very as you are, I'm very active on Twitter and social media with all the football stuff and. I think there's a lot of Liverpool fans very anxious at the minute that we haven't made a signing yet. And I think everyone needs to calm down a little bit because Klopp will only buy players that he thinks are going to improve this squad. And at the minute, there's not many players in the world that would. So we're going to have to be a bit patient with that. And I know people are pointing at like Tottenham, who've just spent like 60 million on Ndombele, who's a fantastic player, but we don't need him. We've got Fabinho and they're very similar players. And we, I don't think we need another destructive centre midfielder. Um, certainly not a priority for us. And I know City are about to buy a, uh, is it Rodri from Atleti? Mm-hmm. I think, I think he's about to sign for City. So it looks like other clubs are making moves and we're not. Do you but, think though, Adam? I mean, like, cause. He's got to trust Klopp yeah, to. Yeah. To, I- what he wants to do. Absolutely. But I also feel like as well, you know, he's, 
the 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 board Edwards and everyone I mean I, I do want signings because again you know I know it was an absolute fucking miracle what happened against Barcelona you know Divock Origi I mean like that man has scored m- every goal that he scored is pretty much memorable you know he's a cult hero I think I think any Liverpool supporter will agree on that. They'll remember every single one of his goals that he scored because they've been so crucial. But um, I'm at this stage where, you know, of course, the first 11 is amazing, but heaven forbid something happens to that front three. And although Divock Origi has stepped up this season, you kind of think, well, you know what? We kind of want players. I believe that Liverpool are in a really healthy position now where... You know, any target that we're being linked to, like for the Mbappe thing now, for example. Now, five years ago, you would have pissed yourself laughing, right? I yeah. would have. Like, that's not going to happen. Let's not forget the humble days when we couldn't get Konoplyanka over the line. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, you're being linked to Mbappe. And although, I mean, the wage will be a massive issue and the fee itself will be ridiculously astronomical in terms of what we're going to have to offer and things and that's the only thing that maybe seems a little unrealistic but in terms of Mbappe wanting to play for Liverpool does not strike me as batshit crazy no not anymore like when that rumour was going around there's a reason that like the majority of Liverpool fans were like could we afford them is is this like it was genuine questions being asked like is this possible whereas like even two years ago You'd have been like, don't be so fucking stupid. What are you talking about? Because um, he's the hottest... Pro- I think he's actually officially the most valuable player in world football at the minute. I think he has got the highest transfer value on paper in world football. So to be linked realistically with players like that shows how far we've come. I um, I do think we need some signings. I think if we get to the end of the window and we've signed no one, I think... We will struggle to the same pace with Manchester City as we have this year. Um, what you got to remember as well, though, is that City's squad is aging. They're, they they need replacements coming in, whereas Liverpool's isn't really. There's only a couple of players that are in the last few years of their of their uh, careers, and they're not really key players. The spine of our team is going to be there for at least three, four, five years. So there, there are it, it, on paper. You can go, well, City won the league and they're making signings and Liverpool aren't, but, and it should be the other way around. But City have got an aging squad and Liverpool have got a core of sort of mid 20s players, players just coming into their prime. And keeping your best players is often just as important as signing new ones. I think, I do think we need a forward who could play either side um, and ideally someone through the middle because. I agree with you on that. Like, I, I, I'm pro- when this podcast goes out, I, I imagine I'm going to get a little bit of flack for what I'm about to say. Divock Origi has scored some amazing goals, but if, God forbid, Firmino breaks his ankle and he's out for two months, three months, you you can't, we can't go from Roberto Firmino to Divock Origi leading the line because the, it, it's a complete system change for a start, mm. and it there is also a drop off in quality. He scored some massive goals. He's a flash in the pan kind of player, isn't he? Like he has yeah, moments. Yeah. Like the, the, there's players who've had like impacts like that at other clubs. Like you remember Federico Makeda for Man United. Oh, don't. <laughs> for, for like for like the last couple of years, last couple of weeks of a season, and everyone was like, he's going to be the next big player. I think he's retired now, and he's like 28 or something. Madness. I'm, I'm not sure on that, but I've, I haven't heard of him doing anything since. 
Like, the, there are players who can make massive impacts, and I think Origi should be given a new contract, but I don't necessarily think he should be given a bigger role than he was given this season. I, I think that's his, that's his level at Liverpool Football Club, is an impact player who's fast and strong and can come on and change the game a little bit when we need him to. Um, but if we did lose one of those front three for an extended period of time, <laughs> he can't be the guy that we're relying on to, to come in and have that long run in the team and be doing the business every single week. I just, I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong, but I don't see him being able to do that. So bringing in another top level forward who could compete. I think we need, basically need to bring someone in who realistically by the end of the season could have taken one of our front three out of the team. Yeah, we need a pusher, right? We need someone that's yeah. going to challenge them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then obviously we're going to need a fullback because we, we're, we're losing Nathaniel Klein and Moreno. So we need at least one fullback to come in. You can't lose both of those players and not, not replace them. Um, and obviously the, there's a lot of people, a lot of Liverpool fans crying out for a creative midfielder to come in, but I'm not 100% sure we're going to need that. With Naby Keita having his second season at Liverpool and he's shown such strong signs towards the end of it before he got injured that he was finding his feet. And Oxlade-Chamberlain's coming back. Mm. I'm not 100% certain that an attacking midfielder is something... I don't think we're going to be able to sign an attacking midfielder who's going to get enough game time to force his way into the team because we've got so many options in midfield. We just haven't got that many up front. So I think finding... A decent centre back, mm-hmm. a full back, and a, a a winger who can play both sides. We should be signing all three of those this summer. And then, if players leave, like if Mignolet goes, obviously we need a backup goalkeeper. Um, but for now, I would be concentrating on full back, centre back, and a forward. I I pretty much agree with you there. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I just think we need some solid reinforcements, but we've got to find a happy balance of somebody who's willing to push and start from the bench and obviously announce himself when he's on the pitch. I think, you know, I think that's where the, the trickiness lies because obviously with a lot of these players that we're looking for, you know, like they'll probably look at our starting 11 and think, well, ha- will I push? Will I be able to challenge? Um, certainly in, in the forward role, in my opinion, that's going to be quite hard. So that'll be really interesting. I mean, they might go for somebody who's just a little young, but has bags of talent and potential, but it'll be quite interesting. It could be a complete system change as well. You know, it might be that, you know, Firmino has to drop a little deeper because you'll agree what he does is when, when we're losing the midfield battle, Firmino will go into the midfield and start chipping in because he is that player. Yeah, he ends up at like defensive mid sometimes <laughs> for like five or ten minutes, just showing everyone how to do their jobs better. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the, the, the annoying thing with Firmino is he's so important to how we play and there's no one else like him in world football, really. So. Mm. If he's injured, we we can't replace him with like for like. So we we need someone who is just really really strong, and we can we can change the system and use someone else's strengths to our advantage. And I I, I feel so bad saying it after what he's done for us at the end of the season. I just don't see Divock Origi being that man. I think that's fair. Your doggo agrees as well. I can hear him. I can hear it in the back. Yeah, you know, giving it, you know the voice of approval there. Okay, Adam. It's been a great season. I mean, 
what has been, if you could take one, you can't say the Champions League winning the Champions League, but what has been like one of your highlights? And it could just be a, something that happened in the game or anything, just something that sticks with you and it will always make you smile. From this season? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think makes me smile is Origi's goal against Everton. <laughs> like, because I didn't celebrate it. I laughed out loud when it went in. It so, needed Benny Hill music, right? Oh, it was like I was watching that. I watched that at home. I was it. I had uh, work to do, so I had to just put it on the telly and watch it in, in my flat. And my girlfriend hates football. She doesn't like dislike it. She actively hates it and she hates <laughs> how I, I. I'm so invested in it that like if Liverpool lose, it can ruin my day for like two, three days on a bounce, and I'll be in a bad mood. So she doesn't like watching me watch the footy. So she was in the bedroom and I'm in the living room, which are adjacent to each other. And I just started laughing hysterically like a hyena from The Lion King when it went in. <laughs> and she came in and was like, what? She thought I'd lost the plot. She thought I'd gone mental. And I showed her the goal. She was like, I don't understand why that's funny. And I was like, oh, just go away and just leave me alone. And I was laughing for a good four or five minutes. And then every now and then I remember that Everton came that close to taking a point off us. And then that happened. But then Everton have also got the fact that they held us to a draw in the second game of the season. And if we'd have won that, we'd have won the league. So swings and roundabouts. But yeah, the the one moment from the season that'll make me smile or laugh is that one. And also, I think the biggest moment of the season, apart from anything in the final, because obviously we've won a European Cup, so <laughs> that second Origi goal is massive. But um, Gini Wijnaldum's header against Barcelona when we went 3-0 up. That's when I was like, oh, we're actually going to do this. I, I knew from that point that it was done and we were going to do it. Um, and I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. Great shout. So I think those would probably top a lot of people. I mean, for me, as I mean, one of, um, uh, I, I spoke about, um, in, in the previous show, I spoke about, um, absolutely hammering Man United because for me, yeah, we played them a fair few times. We've beaten them a few times. They've beaten us a lot of times. You know, most of the times, if I remember these games, Certainly quite recently, I've always been quite disappointed. Some frustrating draws as well along the way. But to me, when we absolutely tonked them, it, it felt like to me the first time ever in my life that there was a power shift. And yeah. in my time of being a Liverpool supporter and having to deal with United fans who are not the nicest, to put it very lightly. Yeah. yeah, put it very lightly. And, you know, there was just an absolute power shift. And I just thought to myself, you know what? You're nothing anymore. And to have that feeling was actually quite satisfying. It, just that feeling of, oh, my God, you're nothing. You know, like you got a cheap goal out of us. It was one all. You you thought you were back in it. And and I love the fact that it was Shakiri that did the damage as well. And, and Neville on the commentary as well. Like that will always make me smile. Shakiri with two massively yeah. deflected goals, <laughs> but writes himself into Liverpool folklore. Um, yeah, that was a big moment as well, I suppose, and it was nice for Shakiri that. And I think th- there was rumours that Shakiri might be sold in the summer. I don't think Shakiri is going anywhere. I think he's very, very happy um, under Jurgen Klopp. I think Klopp highly rates him, and I, I think he would have liked to play a bit more. But I think he understands that he's, you know, he, he's come from Stoke and. He was a very hot prospect at one point, and he's clearly, clearly a top player on his day. But in this team, he's always going to be back up, mm. and I would like to keep him there. But I would also like someone who's actually slightly ahead of him in the pecking order. I think he's a great squad player, um, 
And he's Lump- crucial for a short period of time. Remember the game against Southampton? Like, literally, yeah. I wanted to give him man of the match, but he only played the first half and then he got subbed off, but he did the damage. Yeah, yeah, totally. He, he such a massive impact player. And at one point, you know, he was in the team for like four, five, six weeks where, and we completely changed our system to, mm-hmm. to fit him in because he was playing right wing. We moved Firmino to attack and mid and we put Salah up front. And that was because of how well he'd played as an impact player. So for him to come into what was the year before we were talking about those front three as the best front three in world football, for him to come in and even for a brief period of time, make the manager change how that front three work just to get him on the on the pitch. It shows how good of a player he is. And I think we are lucky to have a player like him who is as good as he is and also happy to accept the role that he's been given. Yeah, that's one thing I've got to credit a lot of these um, players. You know, you don't hear grumbles and moans from the likes of Divock Origi or Shakiri, who apparently had a really bad attitude as well. You know, there was always talk about his attitude and him being quite a disruptive figure in the dressing room. I've yeah. not seen that at all. They just seem like such a good bunch of lads. Yeah, totally. People said the same about Daniel Sturridge before he came to Liverpool. Yes. And I've never seen anything like that from him either. Like, I think... You forget that these players, like to get to that level of football, like top level football, World Cup players, international stars playing in the Premier League at the highest level, you've got to have a certain mentality. And that mentality is, I should be on that pitch. I should be playing this game. I'm good enough to be in this team. And people often mistake confidence for arrogance. And I don't think there's actually anything wrong with an attacking player having a bit of arrogance. And. Once Sturridge sort of accepted his role in this team, like, that goal against Chelsea, Sturridge was a massive player for us this season and we wouldn't have got as far without him either. Mm -hmm. And he didn't really play that much because he ended up behind both Shaqiri and Origi in the pecking order. But he he, he did what he was asked to do when he came on. He, He changed his entire position because his legs have sort of gone and he had to sort of, he had to play false nine or attack a mid when he came on. And he did it because it his attitude isn't bad at all. I think it's just people see him sulking a little bit and he's not always constantly smiling. They're like, oh, what a terrible attitude. It's like, it's a top-level footballer. If that's the attitude that's made him who he is, then who are you to tell him it's the wrong one? Oh, absolutely. Right, Adam, you know, because you're a comedian and i got to make it a little light-hearted. I mean... I'm sure you watch the Insta stories of Liverpool Football Club. I'm sure you see the videos going around and you you get a feel of the personalities and the footballers and, you know, the the human behind the athlete. I mean, do you ever watch things as them as a collective and think, you know what, you are the, you know, like, I'd love to get on stage with you or you're quite funny, you've got potential. After football, you could be a comedian. I mean, is there anyone at Liverpool that you, you think is genuinely quite a funny man? I think from what I've seen, I think Andy Robertson mm-hmm. is quite clearly a bit of a joker and is having a laugh with a few people. I think his relationship with Trent, I'd love to just go for a pint with them too and just have a laugh. They seem to bounce off each other so well. Um, and I can't say much more about this because it actually it might still end up happening, but a friend of mine was asked to do a prank with Liverpool Football Club and it was being set up by Andy Robertson. So he's clearly got an eye for the funny. Um, and he's Scottish, he's Glaswegian as well. So, yeah. like, Scottish people just have a natural sense of humour. He's 
and he's really good mates with Kevin Bridges, so there's definitely humour in him. I think people from Liverpool, Glasgow and Newcastle are all very similar, and I think a huge part of those three cities' identity is humour and the ability to take the piss out of other people and also have a laugh about yourself. So, yeah, I think if there's anyone in that Liverpool... If there's any two people in that Liverpool squad that I think will probably have funny bones, it's going to be Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, just based on pure... Geography. I haven't got a better... <laughs> I'm searching for a better one, but I just couldn't find it. I mean... I think James Milner strikes me as really dry. You know, like, I love the fact that he's able to take the piss out of himself. I love the fact that he came onto Twitter and pretty much retired the boring James Milner account. As soon as he came on Twitter, I was like, goodbye, I'm unfollowing boring, boring James Milner now. I've got yeah. the real deal here. You yeah. know, the authentic source. <laughs> and I find him really funny. Another one that I think is quite funny, but in a, in a bizarre way is, um, I think Dejan Lovren's obsession with Mo Salah, he's like a bunny boiler. See, I think Dejan Lovren knows that if he's good mates with Mo Salah, he's got a much better chance of not being sold by the club. Popular kids, right? <laughs> Hang with a popular kid. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's trying to be popular by association. And do you know what? It's working. It's absolutely working. Because whenever I see... Like stories come up about Lovren being sold to AC Milan or something. There's always people commenting, going, "No, keep him there to keep Mo happy." There's fans who want to keep him there just so Mo Salah's got to make because no one wants Mo Salah to go anywhere. So fair play to him; he's playing the game, and you got to respect it. <laughs> he's playing the game. It's like Big Brother, isn't it? Going in with tactics. No, I, I love that. That's quite funny. I mean, and I think it goes without saying the boss. I mean, I respect the fact that he goes on live television and drops f bombs. He is my spirit animal. Yeah. Just, I think Jurgen. I mean, it's. It's everything with Jurgen Klopp. I think it's even to the point of like his antics on the touchline as well. Like my mum is a Manchester United fan, but she does. I mean, she loved him at Borussia Dortmund. I think everyone did. When he came to Liverpool, she was a bit pissed off, and you know, yeah, yeah. So. I think a lot of United fans were, to be honest, because his ideologies at Dortmund were sort of similar to what Alex Ferguson had for a long time, which was fast-paced attack and football. Um, and I think a lot of United fans wanted him to take over, but I don't think there was a club in world football more suited to Jurgen Klopp at the time than Liverpool. It, like his personality and the club's identity have just synchronised. It's he's going to be remembered for a very, very, very long time as one of the best Liverpool managers ever, and that is saying a lot. That is absolutely saying a lot, considering the history of managers that Liverpool Football Club have had. Okay, so we've got Virgil van Dijk here, and I always call him the king of um, arresting bitch face. Like, his face does not move. He he looks like a villain from a Bond movie. He's always so composed. I mean, if you had to make him laugh, Adam, you were in a situation where it's a one-to-one, you want to break the ice. How do you make Mr. Cool laugh? Um, This is going to sound quite bad, but if I've if I'm ever at a show and someone has got um like a resting bitch face and they're not enjoying it or not if they're not enjoying it because everyone's got a right to not enjoy a comedian but if someone seems like they're going out of their way to be Mr. Cool and I'm not going to laugh at this then I just sort of try and get them involved with every bit of material I'll keep going to them and I'm try like 
Because what they're essentially trying to do is ruin my gig by going, I'm not laughing at this. So I'll just ruin their night and I will try and wind them up as much as possible. I'll try and find the jokes that are making them upset or offended and then do more of those type of jokes. <laughs> so if someone is trying their best not to laugh at me. I don't try and make them laugh. I try and piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so um, although, would you really want to piss off Virgil van Dyke? Yeah. <laughs> You're brave. Well, the thing is, I've got like this sort of um, philosophy, I suppose you would call it, on life in that certainly Virgil van Dijk, how famous he is. Like, what's he going to do? If he beats me up, I'm going to be very famous and sell a lot more tour tickets. And even if he wasn't famous, I'd still get a story out of it. I'd still get, I'd be able to go, oh, I took the piss out of this guy at a gig. And he'd be, I'd be able to do something with it. Like, when you're a comedian, it's quite weird because the worst parts of your life like the best comedy comes from tragedy, so the the worse your life gets, you know, the funnier you're going to be for the next year. So it's quite a weird situation to be in, and I, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind getting beaten up by Virgil Van Dyke because it give me something to talk about. Fair enough. Uh, okay, material is material. I mean, has there ever been a time, you know, during your time in this profession where maybe the football, like you, you spoke about, um how football really does affect you for days and you know your yeah. girlfriend absolutely hates it for that reason i mean has there ever been a time during your professional time where it was absolute it stunk being a comedian because you just couldn't like football does take over your life i mean if you're passionate about a sport and, and a club which we clearly all are and has there ever been a time where you were on tour and maybe the reds were really really bad and it it kind of maybe affected your performance or maybe affected your ability to sort of convey a joke and sort of, you know, has that ever happened to uh, you? I'm going to have to say no. And that's because like comedy is a very good for the, for the performer, at least as a very good healing power. And often as soon as you get on stage and you get your first laugh, you sort of forget all your problems. You just having fun. And it's quite, I'm quite lucky that I have that because it's a distraction when Liverpool is shit. If I go and do a gig, it takes my mind off it for half an hour or so. So, uh, it doesn't, uh, it affects me mood when I'm off stage. On stage, I'm a different person. So, luckily, I can get away with it. I, I don't think I'd be, if it did affect my performance with the amount it does wire me up, I don't think I'd be able to be a comedian because most Liverpool games are on a Saturday and most of my gigs are on a Saturday night. So, a lot of Saturday nights in the past, I'd have been miserable and I don't think I'd have ever got anywhere in my career. You know what? That's absolutely fair. I mean, for me, I I do a post match call in. So for me, I've discussed the game. So if we've lost, I've got I'm hosting a call in. People call in. We we talk about the game. We talk about things. It's basically my way of um healing. And once I've done my show, I do not want to talk about that game again. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. that's that's me done and dusted. So I I get that that you take to the stage and that's your kind of escapism from you know, the the football in general. I mean, has there ever been a time where Liverpool have had a big game and you've had to be on stage, like, you were touring? Has that ever happened as well? Because I guess that must be quite annoying. Um, I just cancelled the gigs, to be honest with you. Like, I was supposed to be in Brighton last year for the Champions League final, and I just messaged the promoter and said, I, I don't think I can do that gig. I, I Like, I won't be performing very well because I'll just be thinking about the game. Yeah. So I'm not coming. And then this year I was supposed to do a gig in Blackpool and I did the exact same thing. Um, there's certain games, obviously, 
like I want to watch every game, but if it's a middle of the season league game and I've got quite an important gig, I'm not going to cancel the game for that. But the the big games, I I can't miss them because my brain is just thinking about the game while I'm on stage. I need I need it to be over and done with for for me to be able to go on stage. Um, so yeah, it it I've I've never missed a a, a important game, a big game due to a gig because I will just. I'll just fucking cancel them because it feels more important. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. I, I could not agree more. I mean, I've, I've thrown, you know, when I used to, I work on this now, but when I used to go out and had to earn my living and I would strategically plan and, you know, decide when I'm going to work, when I'm going to take time off and things like that, given, you know, the game. So I, I completely am I'm with you on that one. Oh, okay. Adam, Um, I think, you know, who's, which team has like you've kind of looked at and thought, my God, like this season, they are an absolute shambles. I know what you might say. Well, for the forthcoming season, um, I think the obvious answer is Man United, and so I'm going to try and not say that. I think Arsenal are going to have a tough season. Um, oh, they were so bad in that Europa defensive. You know, like the fact they were so bad defensively. I mean, I know they've been bad all season, but they were shocking. Yeah, I'd like I'll be honest with you. I think, I think the league is going to go very similar to how it did last year, as long as Liverpool sign a player or two. Yes, I think Liverpool and City will fight it out for a long time for the title. I think Tottenham will be third, and I think there'll be another sort of n- non-fight for fourth where they're all like trying their best not to get it like they did last year because I think Chelsea obviously they've just signed Kovacic but he doesn't improve the squad because he was already there and Pulisic is obviously coming in but he's a replacement for Hazard and he's definitely a step down from Eden Hazard mm. So and Chelsea can't sign any more players now so I don't see Chelsea improving. And also, also with managers as well. Like, they've recycled yeah, like, them so oh, many like, times. There's no pedigree there, is there? Like, <laughs> like Chelsea's dressing room is notoriously, like, got too much control over the club. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as they decide they don't like the manager anymore, he ends up getting sacked a few months later, even though they, he won them the league the year before. Like, and are they going to respect Frank Lampard, who's done nothing, really, in management? I don't, I don't see that working at all. And then you've got Arsenal who aren't really signing any players and they're so bad at the back, so bad. Um, and then you've got Man United who... Wan-Bissaka is a good signing, don't get me wrong, but who's going to... What top player wants to go and play for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Mm. What, what, like, they're, they've been turned down £70 million for Harry Maguire. They've been told no. So a large portion of their transfer budget is going to go on a centre-back by the looks of it. I reckon they'll probably get him for 80, 85 mil, mm. which is a ridiculous number. But then they're not going to have mountains more money to spend without breaking financial fair play, or, or unless, obviously, they sell Pogba. <laughs> Man United are in massive disarray, but I don't see Arsenal or Chelsea being in a much better position than them either. So there's shambles all over the league. And then below that, you just never... I think United might end up finishing 7th, 8th, ninth, something like that this season. I think it might completely go off off the rails. Mm, absolutely. I mean, 
I have to agree with you in that sense. I, I feel like they kind of made a rod for their own back when they gave Sanchez all that money. And of course, Rashford signed and, you know, God knows what astronomical wage, um, you know, fee he's going to get, you know, what his wages are going to be like. But I just feel like, yeah, they're a poorly, poorly run club. And it's actually quite nice sat here looking at them thinking, Oh my God, you remind us of us in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're exact. They're going through the exact same thing and they don't even realize it. They don't realise how long this is going to last. They 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 need to accept three, four, five years of mediocrity because that's what's coming. And if they accept it instead of chasing immediate success, then they'll be okay in a few years. But if they keep trying to change it like we did to, right, we need to compete next season, we need to compete next season, they're, they're chasing something that is going to be impossible and they'll be like that for 10 years. Mm. I think if... Obviously, they're going to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a bit of time now. I, I don't see that lasting. I think by November, Christmas, he'll be gone. And I think at that point, they need to get a manager in that they're going to back for a couple of seasons and they need to let him have the time and space that Jürgen Klopp's had at Liverpool. They need to go, right, put your philosophy in place, get the players that you want, get rid of the players here that you don't think fit with what you want to do. And let's see where we are in three years' time. United need to look at themselves as a long-term project now because that's what they are. Uh, and until they do that, I don't think they're going to have a very good time at all. No, I'm with you. I think it is between us and City again. So, um, Adam, final question, Liverpool, then we're going to move on to you. If Liverpool make the signings that we want them to make, we've identified where we need to strengthen. If we make those signings and we're very clever, which we are, um, uh, you know, under, under the new um, regime, can Liverpool win the league? We can, but I don't think... Do you know what? No, yeah, we can. I'm not going to say I don't think we will. I was about to, but I, I, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I've got quite a positive outlook, and I do think we can. Good. Um, I, I just think City are going to be favourites again because they've got such squad depth, and that, that group has now been together for a good few years, whereas if we end up with the squad depth they've got, there's going to be new players gelling in. But after the season we've just had, I think we can do fucking anything, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and City, you know, they, they showed last season that they are beatable. They lost a good few games. So, yeah, to answer your question, we can. And I think we've got just as good a chance as we did last season. For sure. And I, I also feel as well, next the season coming up, I feel like City are really going to try focusing on the Champions League as well. I've got a real strong feeling that they're thinking, shit, we need to win this. I know Guardiola will probably really, really want to win it as well. That is their objective. I know the fans like to boo the anthem and, you know, think UEFA have got it in for them. But I think that is their goal, the Champions League. And I think if that is like... a it sort of takes them off focus. I think we have a clear chance of, you know, running in there. Um, you know, like I said, there was a point, but, you know, there was literally nothing in it. Literally nothing in it. Just one game, you know? So it's, it's going to be very exciting. And like you said, it is between the two teams because I can't really see anyone else challenging. Adam, back to you now. You're under the microscope. Now tell me a little about just how, um, how you got into comedy. I mean, were you a funny kid? Um, well, I wasn't an unfunny kid, but I definitely wasn't the funniest in my group of mates, really. Um, but I just always loved stand-up, so I gave it a go just just as like a... I think I'm just going to give that a crack. Like, it wasn't ever with the intention to do it as a career or anything like that, but it's like drugs. You, you can't really get 
off it once you start because if it goes well, there's nothing that quite matches the feeling of a hundred people or two hundred or five hundred people laughing at something you've thought of. Do you know what I mean? So, um, I got into it when I was eighteen. That was nine years ago, and I, I've just never looked back. Really, I got into it as a hobby, and it slowly became a career. And now I, I can't really imagine doing anything else. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, during I mean, you've done it for um, you say you said you've done it for like nine years. Has is I mean, you spoke about, of course, Scousers. You know, it's like a homecoming. You're going to get amazing support there. I, I was um, I was actually in Edinburgh a few weeks ago, and literally there is a comedy club on every street corner you know which suggests to you that they really do love their comedy and you know they're, they're funny people newcastle like you said very similar to scousers and and just scottish people in general i know you you sort of um said glaswegians there but i just think scottish people in general are just hilarious and just really down to earth has have you ever been anywhere where you where the crowd's been quite hostile or you, your jokes haven't gone down well or there's a regional sort of um lack of understanding of like the northern humor um not really to be honest with you what what will occasionally happen you never really get a hostile crowd occasionally when i'm in manchester i'll get booed when i first walk on and start talking (laughs) like it's it's a friendly boo it's more like oh you scouse twat so like it's not like it's not like an actual get off stage sort of thing the the worst gigs for me are when people are just indifferent so a lot of the time, like, I'm about to go on tour with my show, and obviously with that, like, people know what they're buying to see. They're coming to see Adam Rowe. So everyone there is a fan of yours, and those gigs are always lovely. And at big comedy clubs in big cities, they're always good too because people know what they've booked to see. They go in the comedy club. But some of the, like, little art centre gigs, the uh, the little gigs in small towns, particularly like sort of middle class and upper class England mm-hmm. where it's quite posh but not much happens around there. A lot of the time, some of those audiences, they're just there because there's nothing else to do. Something to go to, right? So they're not actually in the mood for comedy. They don't, and they certainly don't want to listen to what I've got to say about the world because I just, they just don't identify with me at all. So some of them, they, they don't hate Yeah, They're just bored by every act on the bill. Some gigs are just a bit dull sometimes in those little quiet villages. But at the same time, there's other little quiet villages where they're just made up that something's on. Mm-hmm. They're so happy, like, oh, my God, there's a comedy night. And then they're, like, the best gigs <laughs> in the country. So it's weird. You never know what you're going to get when you walk into these rooms. But as a general rule, it's a pretty nice and comfortable way to live your life. Have you ever, like... I don't know, had had a gig and you've told a joke and it's been quite controversial because one of yours that actually made it on my social media was a joke about vegans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean... <laughs> I'm going to just go on record to say I'm a vegetarian and I do really respect the vegan lifestyle and it is something that I've entertained in my head to do but I just find the discipline just too hard for me. Yeah, I am... Um... I've got a lot of respect for vegans and I think that they're absolutely right about everything they say. I just don't really care enough to change my lifestyle that much. I don't think one person changing their diet actually makes a difference. And I know that seems a bit naive because obviously 
you can say, oh, if one person doesn't vote, that doesn't make a difference politically, and it's not really true. But, yeah, I just... I, I've joked about it because it, it was an easy joke target. Um, that that stuff never really got much of a negative reaction from vegans. They all sort of took it on the chin because they're sort of used to it, I suppose. There's a couple of routines that I've done that got a little bit of a backlash, uh, particularly like from fat people, because I've always carried weight. I've always been quite a chubby lad, but and I will joke about it quite abrasively on stage. And some people just take massive offense to it. But I'll be honest with you, I don't care. Like, if someone comes to a comedy club and they get offended or think that I shouldn't be allowed to say something, I don't think they should be allowed anywhere near the comedy club. Mm. You can't tell comedians what they can and can't joke about. It's it's, that's up to us to find where our line is. Um, so... Anyone who doesn't get offended, I'm happy to have them there and they can enjoy the show. And anyone who is going to get upset by certain subjects being brought up, I I don't care if you don't come again. So it doesn't really bother me. It's so true. I mean, like, I take the mick out of, like, being Asian and I'll take the piss out of my mum. I mean, like, one of the... You know how you offend my mum? If she gives you something in a Tupperware box and you don't return it back to her, like, she will... Like, that is a vendetta for life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? And I can I can say those things, and and it's it's completely fine. So I'm I'm completely with you. I mean, you've got to open yourself up to the humour. You've got to make fun of yourself to, for it. You know, to kind of project to the crowd. I completely get you. Um, so you've got this tour coming up, Adam. Tell me everything about it because I know people that actually want to go to this as well. So I, I need some dates. I need locations. Um. Well. <laughs> uh, due to my lack of organisation, I don't know the dates. Oh, they are. They are. Um, they are on sale. When will this podcast go out? What date will this go out? I'm going to release it today. Okay, cool. So, uh, so it's Wednesday, the third of July, um, today, and it is currently available on O2 Priority. So they they um have decided to promote my tour this year, which is very nice. So if you have access to O2 Priority, you can get tickets today. If you join my mailing list, you can get tickets tomorrow. Um, I'm going to do a mail out tomorrow for that. Um, and then they go on general sale on Friday and they will be available, uh, from livenation.co.uk and also adamrow.co.uk. If you do want to sign up to the mailing list and get tickets a day early, i.e. tomorrow, uh, if you go to adamrow.co.uk, you'll get hit with a pop-up box to put your email in. Lash it in there, and you'll be sent uh, a priority code tomorrow and a free copy of me one-hour special that I recorded a couple of years ago. You can have that for nothing. That'll go out on the mailer as well. Amazing. And what kind of um, locations? Um, I'm, I'm hoping you come to Manchester. Um, I am coming to Manchester, but it's going to be early next year, that one. So this first batch of tour dates, uh, Manchester's not on it because these are the September, October, November dates. Okay. Uh, Manchester... Because I wanted to, I'm, I wanted to do the big room at the Lowry Theatre mm-hmm. in Salford, um, and it wasn't available on the dates we had available this year. So it's going to be early next year that we go to Manchester. There's a couple of big cities that unfortunately are not on this first this first run, but there's a lot of big ones. London's on it, obviously. Uh, Liverpool, I'm doing the Echo Arena on the fourth of October, um, and yeah, if you join the mailing list anyway, you'll I'm find... I'm going to join anyway, and I'll, I'll get the, the details sec- out. As soon as the second leg goes on sale, I'm going pretty much everywhere in the UK that it's worth going to. You're going to be going to Yorkshire as well? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Leeds, Huddersfield and Sheffield. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So, you know, you pretty much covered pretty well there. And what what can people expect from you? Give them a little teaser. Um, Will my Tupperware joke <laughs> make this stage? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, just no. Um, <laughs> I would say to expect some opinions that you might not necessarily agree with, but by the end of the show, even if you don't agree with them, you'll find them funny. So, what what am I what I what what I look for in my favorite comedians? What I really enjoy is when a comedian says something and you feel the audience pull back a little bit, as if to go, "I don't really like that." But then five minutes later, he's done jokes about that subject and everyone's laughing and they sort of see where he was coming from. That's what my favorite comedians do. So that's what I try and do. Uh, that's the style of comedy I want to do. So it's a confrontational, um, opinionated humor. So if you're coming, that's what you should expect. Oh, amazing. Well, you know what? I think everyone has inspiration or somebody that they kind of look up to. I mean, you know, there's people that you aspire to be. Clearly, I'm trying to be James Richardson here with my hosting skills, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who growing up for you, Adam, and even now, who do you kind of look up to? I mean, I know, you know, Liverpool has so much talent. I mean, like, you're amazing. You you have amazing boxers. You, You know, the football is just amazing. I mean in comedy in general I mean was it always local influence or was it just far greater and bigger and I know stand-up is quite big in America as well yeah um so growing up the two comics that made me want to do it were Jason Manford and Kevin Bridges so I'm man kind of Glaswegian um and then since then I I just got more and more into American comedy so my favorite comic is an American guy called Bill Bear. Um, and I was very lucky that I got asked to open his tour earlier this year. So I, I opened for him in Glasgow, Manchester and twice at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Um, and that was pretty much the best week of my career so far. So initially it was Kevin Bridges and Jason Manford, but since then American comics like Bill Bear, Andrew Schultz, Dave Chappelle, they're the ones I seem to watch a lot more of now. Amazing. Okay, I think we're pretty much at the end of the show. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, but before you go, any last words from you? Where can people find you on Twitter? Okay, so uh, Twitter's Adam Rowe Comedy. Instagram is Adam Rowe Comedian. Um, but if you're going to do anything, head to YouTube and subscribe to my channel because I'm going to be putting a full video out every week uh, from now on. So youtube.com slash Adam Rowe Comedy. Hit subscribe, turn the notifications on. And put me videos in your WhatsApp groups. Let's get them spread around. Absolutely. And also you do a little podcast as well. You feature here and there. Do you want to let the people know where they can find you? If you watch some escapism from football, this podcast. Uh, yeah. So I, I, you mentioned earlier, I, I regularly guest on Quotas Full, which is where you first sort of heard my stuff. Um, and that's a great podcast to check out. I'm not a regular on that, but I, I'm on it every few months. But it's worth listening to anyway. Those lads are great. Uh, and my podcast is called What's Happening. So... If you uh, go to SoundCloud slash Adam Rowe Comedy, there's a there's the Adam Rowe What's Happening podcast. Check that out as well. I'm sure you're going to get loads of people um, on your YouTube channel and loads of people sort of downloading your podcast as well. Adam, thank you so much for joining us, and I will be at your tours. I'm I'm I'm, I'm an impatient little fucker, so I'll probably have to make the trip to Liverpool or or Yorkshire. It'll definitely be somewhere up north, but I will definitely get on the mailing list. I'll sort tickets out and um. And I'll, I'll 
be seeing you in Manchester as well and I'll be jeering and booing you because clearly you're a scouser and I got a <laughs> Cheers Nina, well make sure you say hello and I'll, I'll see you at the show <laughs> Absolutely will do, well thank you so much Adam thank you so much for listening guys, I hope you've enjoyed it do support Adam, do follow him, he's incredible, he's amazing if you can get hold of tickets, do so, you've got the details right there, I will tweet them as well just to make life easier as well, so do check that out thank you so much for listening. Until next time, up the reds. Podcast Network.